Dash podcast with Pastor Rick Hill, Senior Pastor of Grace Community Church in Rawls, New Mexico. I'm Marie Manning. What an honor it is to have you join us today. Our goal at Living Your Dash is to better help you connect the dots of discipleship so that you can find and fulfill God's purpose for your life. Let's join Rick and Sean with this week's podcast. Well, thank you, Marie, and thank you so much, everybody, for joining us on today's podcast. Uh, as you can tell by the quality, things are a little different. Can you can you tell the quality, Rick, where you are? It sounds good to me, Sean. Oh, it does good, good. Now, it, it may sound a little funny to our podcast listeners because we're actually uh, recording this remotely. I am not with Rick Hale right now. I am uh, in Dallas, and so uh, we're down here trying to help our son and and uh, to to uh, do some. Uh, relocation, and so uh, so it's kind of kind of exciting in that way. So, well, Rick, you have set us on a journey through the letter of Galatians, uh, Paul's letter that he sent to them. Now, in case everybody's re- new to the series, Rick, do you mind going, uh, just telling us in a nutshell, what's the gist of this series? Yeah, Sean, underneath uh, the letter uh, that Paul wrote to the Galatians was really a very important and still important question, and that is how can a sinner restore his or her relationship with a holy God? Mm. And that's the real question underneath it. And and Paul is a, a really attacking uh, a group of people in Galatia, and they're following what I would say option number one, and that is, well, the way you restore your relationship with God is you've got to be good enough, right enough, and religious enough. So it's the whole idea of a work salvation, of achieving, of mm-hmm. I've got to earn my salvation. And Paul is attacking that, and he's offering option number two. He said, no, option number two is the only one that works. The way you're restored to a holy God is you have to, you have to remove the sin in your life. You can't do it on your own by your goodness. So Jesus has to do it for you. So option two is salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus. Sean, underneath the, the, all the arguments that Paul will be making in his letter to the Galatians is that big question, how can we be restored in our relationship with the Holy God? Hmm. You know, Rick, it's amazing. I mean, we've how long have we had the, the book of Galatians? How long have we had the gospel? And yet it sure seems like everybody always is drawn back to option one. Uh, they feel like they can and they should uh, save themselves. And uh, Paul's just been trying to tell them, Jesus was trying to tell them, no, it's never going to work. Why, why do we keep thinking that we can get away with option one? Yeah, the, the human pride. We always drift to human pride. Isn't that amazing? Mm. It's difficult to stay on the road of humility uh, because you have to hold the wheel tight. Every day you have to wake up and humble yourself before God. The mm-hmm. minute we let go of the humility wheel, John, we're going to drift every time into human pride, thinking, well, I could be good enough, and I'm sure God is thrilled to have me on his team. Look how great I am. There's always going to be that, that drift. That's why God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Hmm. You know, there's even a, a kind of a false pride, isn't there? Where, because I've met people that says, "Well, you know, I'm I'm just not worth saving, and I'm not 
I, I, I know that I'm a sinner and, but, but, uh, you know, I should still keep trying. And, and I, I want to just gently point out that that's really kind of a false pride. It's, it's not, um, it's not accepting what God's already done for them. Um, I mean, do you kind of see that? Do you see that in other, other people as well? Oh yeah. And it, it's, it is, it's a, it's a, a pro, I'm proud of my humility. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm kind of, I take pride in the fact that I am irredeemable, that there's no hope for me, that God could save other people, but he could never save me. You know, in, in reality, you're in a kind of a sick kind of way. You're patting yourself on the back and yeah. saying, you know, there's some real sinners out there, but I'm the big one. You know, I'm worse than anybody. And look at me, everybody. And very often it's a plea for sympathy. Right, right. And uh, of course, God's saying, please don't do that. You don't have to do that. It, it's not helping. <laughs> um, you know, I, I find it really interesting that, that you use, uh, well, I, I, let, me, let, me go, let me take a step back. This week, Paul's focus was, it was not just on uh, what is salvation, but it was really on unity. And, and that's what you you wanted us to focus on it, it kind of seems that as human beings, we're drawn to unity, right? We want to have similar political aspirations and civil goals and currency and hairstyles, entertainment and the like, right? Uh, wrong. <laughs> yeah, Sean, what you just described is not biblical unity, it's uniformity. Oh. And that's the problem. Uniformity says, hey, I will accept you when you agree with me. I will accept you uh, when you look like me, when you act like me, when you agree with me on everything. Hey, if you want to be a part of our group or our church or our team, you, we want uniformity. That is not what God is talking about when he talks about biblical unity. Hmm. Okay. So if is, is that why you use the salad bowl versus the uh, veggie puree uh, soup illustration? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and when people listen to the sermon, they'll hear this illustration. And it's the, uh, can you imagine going to a restaurant, ordering a salad, and the waiter bringing the salad out in a beautiful bowl, but then he dumps it into a blender, adds water, hits the button, and blends up your salad, and then right. serves it to you in a glass. Uh. That, see, that's uniformity. Unity is more like a salad bowl, and, uh. and it's where you celebrate, and you enjoy, and, and you, you celebrate the, the, uh, the creativity that each part of a salad, the, the tomato and the lettuce and the cheese and whatever else you like to throw into your salad, mm -hmm. each, each item in the bowl has a unique flavor. It offers uniqueness, but what makes a salad enjoyable is not uniformity, but it's the unity of bringing those diverse flavors together and you don't destroy the unique flavor because each one enhances you know the old expression variety is the spice of life yes mm -hmm. well variety in the church is the same way how boring church would be if we were all if we all looked alike act alike thought alike smelled alike dressed alike what makes church fun and sometimes a challenge is that <laughs> each person brings their unique gifts and talents and backgrounds together. That's what makes the church, the church. Wow. 
Wow. Now there are some things that, that, that have to be consistent. Like for instance, I would never want to use uh, diesel oil or fuel instead of olive oil. I would never want to put poison ivy in there instead of spinach, right? Yeah, absolutely. So to, to follow the analogy a little bit further, think about the, the, if the salad bowl, just imagine a, a crystal bowl full of salad. The mm -hmm. salad bowl is the gospel of Jesus. It's the bowl that holds the salad together. Sean, you may be a tomato and I may be a, a, a piece of lettuce. Mm. But we don't hold it together. Uh, we're, we're in the bowl. The, the, what holds the bowl together is the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we talked about last week, that salvation is by grace through faith. When we all put our faith in Jesus, we're in the bowl. And the bowl holds us together. And I got to tell you, Sean, a guy caught me Sunday morning after church. And he said, Rick, you missed one part of the salad bowl analogy. I said, what is that? He said, love is the dressing that enhances all the flavors. Oh. And I thought, you know what? That is really <laughs> true. It's love. Love doesn't hold us together. The, the salad bowl holds us together. Yeah. But when you, when you apply the dressing, that's what enhances and really brings out all the different flavors in the church. Wow, wow. We could go on with this illustration for quite a while. Yeah, we better quit or we'll push it too far. <laughs> Besides, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get hungry too. So, <laughs> all right. So this week you seem to give us some, I don't know, maybe rules. Maybe that's not the right way to put it, about how unity can be achieved. Now, we're talking about unity within the body of Christ at the local church, right? Absolutely. Okay, so... Why, why shouldn't I just like, I don't know, um, air my own opinions uh, uh, and, you know, just embrace the plaid instead of, you know, because you mentioned that correction is really important. And, and by the way, you already brought that up, that it's very important that folks, if you haven't listened to the message, fantastic message, go to roswellgrace.com forward slash watch and you can, and can watch that. But again, why shouldn't I just I don't know, air my own opinions and embrace the plaid there. Yeah, the, the chronology in Galatians, as Paul is working us through chapters one and two, is very important. He, got, he was converted to Christ, and he didn't immediately go to Jerusalem. He went into Arabia for three years, and then eventually went to Jerusalem. And But I love the fact that when Paul went to Jerusalem, he went with a very humble attitude. He was open to correction. He said, hey, guys, the reason I'm here, I've been out preaching the gospel to Gentiles. They're accepting Jesus. I want to make sure I'm on the right track. Uh, if, if you see an area where I'm missing, um, if I have any blind spots, let me know, because I want to be in harmony with the will of God. I love the fact that Paul, the great apostle Paul, brilliant, received revelation directly from Jesus Christ, yeah. apparently during that three-year period, approaches the Jerusalem Christian leadership with a heart of humility, saying, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm a work in progress. I want to be open to correction. If I'm missing the mark, please tell me now. I don't want to miss the will of God. We have to be open to correction. It, the minute we fall into this arrogant attitude of, hey, I know everything, I have arrived, that will destroy the unity of a church quicker than anything. Wow. I never really thought about that. That, that 
how important that was that he, in a way, submitted to the elders, to, to the apostles there, because I, I guess he really did have to um, do a lot of convincing. I mean, he, he, everybody was surprised, right? Uh, I we have to rem- yeah, we have to remember at that time that the um, almost the, the complete membership of the church was made up of Jews. Yes. You know, maybe a few proselytes, the Gentile proselytes who made it in, but it was a very Jewish church. All of a sudden, the Apostle Paul comes along and says, hey, um, guess what? Gentiles are interested in Jesus, and I'm not making them be circumcised. They don't have to come into the church through the Jewish door. Hmm. For, For some of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, this was a radically new idea, and Paul did. Paul had to do some convincing on one of the Jerusalem visits. He actually, we read about it, uh, he, he brought Titus, who was a Gentile convert to Jesus, uncircumcised, mm-hmm. and Paul kind of brings him down here to Jerusalem, Exhibit A, and, you know, they couldn't argue with, with the fact that here is a Gentile who loves Jesus who has been changed by Jesus, and he hadn't been circumcised. So Paul makes sure that he and the Jerusalem church are are in partnership, that he doesn't want to be at odds with them, but he also wants to maintain the truth of the gospel, which is a person is saved by grace through faith, not by works, and one of those works would be circumcision. Mm, mm. So, So a critical point of difference of the gospel uh, is that God didn't require that non-Jews uh, become proselytes before they had to become, before they began to follow uh, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. I, I sometimes wonder, do you think that we appreciate that fact um, that this was a complete paradigm shift? Yeah, I don't think in our culture, 2,000 years removed from the first century, that we see how radical this is. When you really get into the Judaism of the first century, the, the Jews were open to Gentiles converting from paganism to Judaism. In fact, when you when you dig into it, a, a Gentile convert to Judaism, Sean, had to do three things. Number one, he had to go through baptism, a water baptism. Number two, he had to make an offering at the temple And number three, he had to be circumcised. If a a Gentile was willing to do those three things, he could convert to Judaism. Now, Uh this explains why Paul was so successful on his missionary journeys in the Roman Empire with a group called the God-fearers. The God-fearers were Gentiles who attended the Jewish synagogue, but they, they did not submit to circumcision. So mm-hmm. it was like, okay, they can't be members of the synagogue, but they can be regular attenders is the way we would say it today. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But when Paul came along and said, listen, you can be a member of the church of Jesus Christ, 100% membership without circumcision. That's why God fears flooded into the church in the Roman empire. Mm. Wow. Wow. Well, that's that's pretty an amazing uh, critical difference, and you know it almost seems a little bit preposterous <laughs> that God was going to make this one group of disciples called the church 
from the, the loosey-goosey pagan world and these fundamentalist Jews. Uh, it, it, it would really make sense if it had gone the other way, if Jesus had said, hey, we're all going to be Jewish first and then we'll be different. But not even the Lord placed those stipulations on people. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, we have to remember all the way through scripture, it makes it very clear. God is love. God is love. God wants the church to be a place where love unites people. Not It doesn't press them into, a, into some kind of cookie cutter mold, but that love unites all kinds of different people. God yeah. is wise enough to know that we're going to enjoy life a lot more with unity rather than uniformity. And mm -hmm. so he wants variety. He wants differences in his church. Um, you know, when we get to the New Testament in uh, like 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, Paul uses the analogy, Sean, of a human body. It says the church mm -hmm. needs to be like a human body. What's a human body? Well, it's not all an ear. It's not all an eye. No, it's it's eyes and ears and noses and hands and feet. Why? Because the strength comes not in uniformity, but in uniting all these different parts into one, one body that has a united purpose. So mm. our unity is not in the, that we all look alike, act alike, think alike. Our unity is we have a common purpose, and that is honoring Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel with a lost world. Wow. Wow. You know, what, what comes to mind for me, Rick, is uh, in Revelations 5, 9, when, when Jesus is talking about uh, really the, 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 uh, where we are heading towards and what he really wanted. And he said he wanted people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Do, do you think that that, that, that is the goal? Sean, it always has. And this is where so many people misunderstand the Old Testament. God has always had this dream mm. of, of redeeming people, of restoring people. And he chose the Jews to be the evangelist to the rest of the world. And the mm. problem was the Jews got all excited about the privilege of being the chosen people of God. But, uh-oh, they forgot about the responsibility that God wanted to share the, the message that there is one God to get rid of your idols, to turn to the one true God. Sean, it is no accident that the, the promised land, the promised land that God chose and sent Abraham to, it's no accident that the land, the geography of Israel is a great land bridge between the nations. Can you imagine if it had worked right, the nations would have come to Israel, and as they're traveling through the land bridge of Israel, they would have met the Jews, they would have done business with the Jews, and they would have learned about the one true God. Israel blew it, Sean. There's no other way to say it. And, yeah. But God didn't get converted at the cross. God has always been an evangelist. Yeah. And Israel missed it. God's dream has always been to create one people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And uh, what Israel failed to do, the church better not fail. Yeah. God will come up with plan C. Uh, 
Oh, boy, that, that, that's scary. And, uh, and it really is something that the church really does have to just keep ourselves vigilant on, isn't it? Absolutely. The Great Commission. Uh, yeah. we, we are responsible to take the gospel to every tribe, language, people, and nation. Okay, so let's get really practical about this. How does, if, if showing unity is something that's, that's modeled for us, it is something that Paul is explaining to us, how does this affect our relationships with people? Because, you know, I'm a little bit country and, and they're rock and roll, right? I'm a truck guy. They're, they're an import sports guy. Uh, how, does, how does this affect people? So many different people. When we vote differently, we read different books, we fly different flags. Uh, how, how does this work out, Rick? Yeah, it's the old problem of I love my opinions. I just have to love you more. And that's hard. That's hard for me, Sean, because I love my opinions because I think I'm right. I know I'm right. And that means that if you disagree that you're wrong Mm. again, love and humility have to supersede my opinions. And even when I don't understand how in the world somebody could vote the way they do, we ought to be able to, to, to share our thoughts and, you know, sharpen one another as Proverbs talks about, we sharpen one another when we have different opinions, but, but our differences cannot, cannot overcome our love for one another. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think back to our, this is in class 101, we, you talk about this at length and um, there, there's a part of your part of the evening where you, you talk about that there, in matters of, I think, unity or in matters of something, I, I forget what it was. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. That in matters of opinion, when it ah. comes to those matters of opinion, we need to, first of all, we need to practice tolerance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean, we just have to sometimes tolerate one another, not with gritted teeth, mm-hmm. but, but really with love and with humility. We we have to be patient. Oh my goodness, here at Grace, we have to be patient with people because we come from such different backgrounds, denominational, socioeconomic, race, uh, all kinds of diversity. And we then we have to move to the the biggest challenge of all, that is acceptance. I have to accept you. Uh But how the Bible's very clear, Romans 14 and 15. I must accept you as Christ accepts me. Well, how did Christ accept me? Did he wait around until I got my act together, until I got everything figured out? No. Christ accepts me at the front end of maturity. I have to accept you at the front end of your maturity because, Sean, we're all works in progress. And and we have to admit that, that that's the challenge of unity in the church. But it also, uh, Sean, it's also how Jesus is going to grow us. We're not, going to, we're not going to grow if we hang around people who act like us, think like us, agree with us on everything. Mm. I'm going to grow when I am challenged in an environment where people don't agree with me on everything. And so it makes me back up and I have to rethink what my opinions really are. Wow. Wow. It- I'm thinking, especially right now in the world, um, this is something, this is, this is a, a crucial message that the world needs to hear, um, that they need to see that, hey, they're already 
has been an ongoing um, laboratory where tolerance, patience, and acceptance has been going on. In fact, it's, it's, it's a part of the matrix of their existence. Um, but I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes we kind of skip on that, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid we are. And again, you, you, you take any conflict, if you add love, you can, you can have unity. But yeah. Sean, if you pull love out of any conflict, any disagreement, you have a fight and you have war. Yeah, yeah. Now, I don't want to go too hard because I think that, that it, it's evident that, hey, the church has been around for, well, since, since Jesus uh, ascended. And uh, I have no doubt that we will because he's the one that keeps us. But I think that it's important to note that some of the greatest and most beautiful acts of of love and acceptance and tolerance and patience has has been found. The world wouldn't really know these things if it hadn't been for the church. Do you, do you think about that? Oh, I, I see it witnessed every Sunday morning. Literally, when I'm on the platform and I look out at our church, sometimes Sean, the uh, the variety and all the differences is a little bit frightening to me. <laughs> And I'm going, oh, my goodness, I hope these people, if they share, I know how they vote or I know what they believe about this or that, that I keep thinking, oh, they could get in a huge fight. And then I go, no, no, they don't. They don't yeah. have to. They don't have to. Sean, I'll never forget one, one Sunday morning I was preaching and I looked out and it was just like it hit me like a lightning bolt. There in front of me was a, a gentleman who grew up in a Jewish family. He was a true blue Jew, accepted Jesus as his Messiah, and he was a member of our church. Mm -hmm. About two rows over was a fellow who grew up in an Arab nation, had met Jesus Christ somehow, heard the gospel, and I mean, he grew up as a Muslim, and he had heard the gospel of Jesus, accepted Jesus, somehow moved to Roswell, and he was a member of our church. And I thought, there is a Jew and an, and an Arab, members of the same church. What brings them together? It's not yeah. their background. It's not their former religion. The only thing that brought them together was they both passionately loved Jesus. Wow. Jesus, people say, you know, what is the solution to the Arab-Israeli conflict? Sean, there's, there is really only one solution, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It, yeah. And I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen with individuals. It could happen at a national level, but it would take a great deal of humility, and Jews and, and Arabs would have to accept Jesus as their Messiah. Mm. You, mm. You know, people would laugh at that and say, oh, Rick, that's a pipe dream. Well, it may be a pipe dream, but I'm just telling you, it's a fact. It, mm. is, it is the only solution, to the, the ultimate solution to that conflict. Yeah. Might be a pipe dream, but that's exactly what that, that was the nature or the, the, the world that our Lord entered into and was and birthed himself through it was a world that was in complete chaos and uh, anti anti unity. Yeah. Um, uh, all Rome wanted to do was just put its the, the heel of its boot on everybody's throat. And uh, and yet what did Jesus do? He, he even brought Roman Roman soldiers into the church, and uh, and of course the gospel spread like wildfire in the church or, or in Rome. Yeah, and Sean, if people want to really understand the heart and the passion of Jesus on this on this topic of unity, just go read his high priestly prayer in John seventeen, mm -hmm. 
Mm. In, in that the night before he was crucified, what is he thinking about? What's on his heart? What is he praying? He, he said, my prayer is not for, for them alone. Talking about the apostles. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I in you. That was, that was the passion of Jesus to bring unity to his broken, fractured world. Wow. It, it just astounds me, you know, just as you're just talking about that and saying that, um, I mean, really, the gospel didn't have a chance. <laughs> no. It no, really it, didn't have a chance. And from a human yeah. perspective, Sean, not a chance in the world. No, no way. And I mean, it, it shouldn't have worked. Uh, it, it's just, it's so odd. It's so odd. It's so weird. And were, was it, would it not be for... The, the miraculous spiritual transformation that happened within those early disciples. And of course, for every concurrent disciple, including yourself and myself. And, and I, and I kind of wonder, Jesus, in, in that prayer that you just talked about, he said, may they be brought to complete unity uh, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Is, is, is that really the difference? Is that why unity is so important to God? Uh, is that it, it really is the, the proof of what God intends to do in the universe. Absolutely. You know, it, it, people say, is unity even possible on planet Earth? Mm. All they have to do is attend a church any given Sunday morning, and there is a, a, a microcosm of unity. And the answer is yes. Every Sunday morning in churches all over the world, you have male and female, old and young, rich and poor. All, every division you can imagine is represented in churches all over the world. And it wow. is. It is the great evangelistic tool. The world should look at the church and not see division. It should see unity. And that unity should attract hurt, broken, fractured lives to Jesus Christ like nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, uh, I know that you know this, I know that you think this, and this is what I believe as well, is that I think that that, that is the reason, the, the reason that people keep coming to Christ, uh, even, though, even though we're imperfect, and we're, we'll be the first one to admit it, the church is imperfect at, at trying to do this unity thing, but, but even as imperfect as we are, it still gets the job done. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. Yeah, people, people don't expect the church to be perfect, but they expect us to be authentic and yeah. to be real. And we, if we're going to talk about love, then we need to demonstrate love. That's what they're looking for. What, wow. You know, the old song, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And <laughs> boy, the, the, all the hatred in the world uh, should make the church look so attractive when yeah. we demonstrate genuine, authentic love. Wow. 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 Great message, Rick. I can't wait for, for next week. But before we go into that, before we go into talking about next week's message, it's now time for Rick's quote of the week. Okay, Rick, what do you got for us today? Well, on this theme of unity and being together and working together, loving together, serving together, I, I found a great quote from John Maxwell. And he, he says, if you want to go fast, go alone. Mm. If you want to go far, go together. Oh, 
Sean, you know, I like to go fast, but really I would rather go far. When yeah. you look at the big picture, we want to go far. If we want the church to go far, impacting the world, we've got to go together. And that demands love. Wow. Wow. Terrific. Love that quote. That's amazing. Hey, what else is going on here at Grace? Well, this Sunday, we're going to take a break in our Freedom Series because we have a very special guest who will be preaching for us. Lyndall Nolan will be in town with his wife, Patty. They are our regional missionaries planting a church in Bixby, Oklahoma. So this Sunday is Bixby Day at Grace. We're looking forward to uh, hearing from Lyndall and uh, you know, a little update on the uh, church plant in Bixby. It's going to be a great day. Also, then Sunday evening, Sean, we have our class 501 Discovering Magnification. It's the fifth and final class in the Discovery class journey. So we're very excited to celebrate with our uh, Discovery class graduates this Sunday night. It's going to be a great time. Great Sunday. Fantastic. So if they've gone all the way from 101 through 401, um, they can come to 501, right? Absolutely. This is their last stop on the journey. Oh, man. Fantastic. Well, Rick, thank you so much for your time. Great message and great topic. And thanks so much for, for, uh, for joining us today. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope that you've been encouraged and better informed. We love to get feedback, so send us an email with your comments and suggestions to info at roswellgrace.com. If you like what we're doing here at Living Your Dash, please hit the subscribe button, leave us a review on your platform, and share this with your friends. For more information about Grace Community Church, please point your browser to roswellgrace.com. Until next time, I'm Marie, and this is Living Your Dash.